midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. We are going through every episode of Call the Midwife without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the sixth episode of the sixth season, or series, if you want to be all British about it, of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Lisa Clark and written by Louise Ironside. Lisa Clark has directed three episodes of Call the Midwife before, and most recently... The last episode, season six, episode five, was directed by Lisa Clark. This is Louise Ironside's first episode of Call the Midwife, but not her last. Jan, do you want to take us through the recap? I sure do. Mature Jenny narrates about body and soul as we see Sister Monica Joan praying at the gate of the mental hospital as Sister Mary Cynthia undergoes electroshock therapy. Fred retrieves Sister Monica Joan. A pregnant Mrs. Farah gets ready as her husband sleeps, and she hides a letter from him. They discuss returning to Somaliland to have a baby. At the Turners, Sheila encourages Timothy and Patrick to get rid of things before their move. Sister Monica Joan comes home and makes a vow to fast until Sister Mary Cynthia is out. Val visits Mrs. Farah, and tells her she's not going on a boat since she's due any day. Trixie turns down a phone call from Christopher, making up an excuse. Sister Mary Cynthia is transferred to a general ward, and in the clinic, Val and Barbara examine Mrs. Farah to find she's undergone female circumcision, and assumes it's the norm. They discuss it with Dr. Turner, but are all unfamiliar with the concept. So... Where do you want to start? I mean, I often start... Yeah, start with the narration. See what's with the sucked. voiceover. And I have some thoughts now, but I think that really what I want to say about it is going to be clear when we've come to the end of the whole episode. We're talking mm. about the soul in particular. And the particular line that stuck out to me in this voiceover is, No one knows where the soul resides. Does it inhabit the heart? The brain? Where in the body does it hide? How is it clothed? And how might we protect it? And the a theme of the whole series that we keep coming back to is like holistic care. And I feel like we usually are thinking about and talking about on this show holistic care of the body, that caring for the mind makes the body better, caring for the, uh, you know society is good for the physical health and this episode we're really emphasizing it from a different direction mm -hmm. that uh if our emphasis is on the soul then is that an aspect of the heart the brain the body uh the thesis of the whole show is like those 
I said I didn't have much to say about this voiceover, and here I am going on and on about it. But uh, <laughs> I think one of the central theses of this whole series that I didn't really recognize until we started talking about it is that you can't really separate the heart, the brain, the body, the soul. And we usually are coming at that holistic uh, view of health mostly from a body perspective and how all these other things affect the body because it's a healthcare show. With this episode, we're emphasizing the soul direction mm-hmm. of the same kind of, uh, you can't really separate those things. And we're focusing on how, you know, uh, social pr- everything from social practices to mental illness to physical pain can affect the health of the soul. And that's most evident, I think, in... Uh, Sister Mary Cynthia's plot, but it comes up in all of the different uh, plots of the episode, I think. Um, So where do we want to really start in this section emphasizing? Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's start with Sister Mary Cynthia, since that's where the episode starts. And she has been our overarching plot for the past three, four, I mean, since the beginning of the season, really. Yeah. Where is she? Where... We found her. We can't do anything about it. And so uh, Sister Monica Jones, it's just heartbreaking. Sister Monica Joan praying at the gates and being found. Fred finding her. And it's not the first time. Yeah, like, he said, is, we thought we agreed not to do this, this anymore. Yeah. So she's been like, I don't know, like walking all the way there. Like they drove in the past. How far is this hospital that she's wandering off to? Yeah. So... I, like, Like, Sister uh, Monica Jones' distress, I think, uh, like, it is interesting because she has always been uh, empathetic, although, like, I don't know, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm struggling (laughs) over my words because Sister Monica Jones has always been empathetic to the point of irrationality except Mm -hmm. not always from the perspective that everyone else is so sometimes she doesn't display her like sometimes she doesn't display her empathy (laughs) in a way that really we can understand it uh or that is the like she doesn't care about manners no (laughs) sort of way so making people comfortable in that kind of way is not important to her but she feels uh it's uh, empathy rather than sympathy. She feels pain because Sister Mary Cynthia is in pain. And she has empathy particularly for Sister Mary Cynthia in the context of uh, mental illness and institutionalizing her and uh, lack of care. And that's partly because she, as she says, she is thinking of Mary Cynthia as her sister and uh, she is, you know, sympathy and empathy and cares for her. But it's also, we see Monica Joan throughout the entire show as an alternative model of care for a, uh, mentally ill person mm-hmm. that her mental illness is different from mary cynthia's but we start with sister monica joan in the first episode talking about like she has de- she deserves our care and our protection and our love and they uh don't often say it explicitly but they do often 
implicitly uh, emphasized that, like, we can't send Sister Monica Joan away because we, her sisters, need to care for her personally because she deserves that, although she is mentally unwell and maybe an institution is what you would assume for her, mm-hmm. right? With her... Uh, she is sometimes fairly lucid and sometimes not at all and sometimes has been a danger to herself, rarely to others, but once in a while to others. Yeah, sometimes to others. Uh, and we contrast that with Sister, Sister Mary Cynthia, who has not received the same kind of community support and love and personal uh, care. And Sister Monica Jones sees that as horrific and it's important that it is sister monica joan who is praying at the gates who is deciding to fast Mm -hmm. for for her and for sister monica joan fasting is like the ultimate sacrifice like it's a bit silly in some ways but like sister monica joan and food is a theme through the whole show and so for her to choose not to have food is is impactful in a way that it more than if sister julienne did the same thing we saw last time it was Lent. We saw Sister Monica Joan breaking Lent and yeah, sneaking exactly. treats. Like, and we talked about it then, but like fasting during Lent is important. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is half hunger strike, half devotional fasting. And Sister Monica Joan is taking it more seriously than uh, her Lenten disciplines. Absolutely. And that... Like, we should understand how serious that is for her. Mm-hmm. As it should be. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Sister Mary Cynthia is, uh, she's transferred to a general ward, which is a better place, like, in terms of they think she's getting better, but it does take her away from her solitary quiet. Yeah. And so she's not being treated very well, uh... Within the, like, hospital, they think they're treating her better, but she thinks, you know, this is not a better situation for me. She's, her new, and we see a little more of her in the future of this episode, yeah. but her new nurse is nicer. Yes. Is kinder. Um, but yeah, she's in the general population and it's, just she's disoriented. We see her coming out of electrotherapy, disoriented, and in the public uh not in with quiet and solitude and privacy which she liked Mm -hmm. um and she is distressed yeah and she also there's a little um thing to just make a note of that i don't we don't need to make a whole meal out of but when she is going in for therapy her nurse says you're not resisting the treatment anymore she says i'm too tired yeah oh it's hard it's hard to watch yeah so let's move on to other things. <laughs> let's briefly touch on the Turners. They're moving to a new house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mostly a little bit of comic relief, their whole story in this episode. So this is like, uh, there's a couple of big boxes for Timothy and 
and Patrick to get rid of their stuff. And there's one small box for Angela and Sheila because they're not as prone to hoarding. I didn't write down the exact line, but... <laughs> yeah, how come you and Angela have one small box between you and Dad and I have one large box each? Because Angela and I are not prone to hoarding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not given to hoarding. Not given to hoarding. Yeah, exactly. So there, I I like that their story is in this episode because the two main stories are quite heavy. Yes. So it's nice to have this little comic relief. With there's not a lot to it, but uh, they yeah. there's a little moment in I think the next section that I think touches on the theme of the episode, but mostly it is just like tra la la, we're moving and yeah. uh, there's boxes and shenanigans, shenanigans. Um, there. I didn't mention this in the recap, because, but it's a overarching, the whole episode is this looming, the Cuban Missile Crisis is going on. Yes, it is. And so there's worries about nuclear war, there's worries about all kinds of fallout from that that was a real, genuine scare in the this time period. And so this is uh, the, the writers, including... Of course, these real-life touch tones like they have in the past. Yeah, I want to, like, I don't, I think maybe the end of the episode is when we've been through everything is the time to touch on it. But yeah. I'll just raise the question without answering it is, yes, it's a touchstone, a touchstone to real history, but they can have real history align with the particular weeks in any way that they want to. So why is the Cuban Missile Crisis happening in this episode? I don't think we should answer that yet, but I think we should talk about all the other things and then come back to it and think about it. Um, Fred, though, is especially concerned. Mm -hmm. and, And maybe not especially concerned, but we see a lot of it through Fred and Fred's kind of stereotypical well his like defense thing that he's had all along this like civil defense Mm -hmm. or whatever it's called that and i help people out in any situation (laughs) i said stereotypically but really what i mean is in hindsight clearly ineffectual and pointless yes preparedness that he's like obsessed with doing all this preparedness stuff when like even at the time you probably could have known and certainly in hindsight you're like none of this would help nope (laughs) But he says, if we're all headed for oblivion, we need to be prepared, Mm -hmm. is what he says. Exactly. Did the, um, Christopher stopping by happen? No, not yet. Okay. So lastly, we have, uh, Mrs. Farah, whose name we find out at the end, but she's referred to as Mrs. Farah throughout the episode, so I'm just gonna, we just call her We'll call her that for now. For now. Um... Her and her husband are from Somaliland, which is, I looked up a little bit about this and I knew this beforehand as well, is that we have Somalia and Somaliland, uh, which presently in 2024 are one country called Somalia, but Somaliland has tried to uh, secede, become its own independent its own sovereign nation, yeah. apart from Somalia, many times. Currently, there is unrest and well, fighting I... there right now. But uh, but just to be clear, like so, like I feel like a person may think, oh, Somaliland, that's just like the old-fashioned name for Somalia, but it's very much not. It's a separate region within Somalia. 
Yeah, Somaliland uh, was named Somaliland in 1884, but it renamed itself the Republic of Somaliland in 1991 after Mm -hmm. the Somali Civil War. It is the largest uh, self-proclaimed de facto independent state in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's de facto self-governing, but officially under the control of Somalia. It is not recognized as it has proclaimed itself independent in 2024 mm-hmm. but that independence is not recognized by Somalia or by most other countries with notable exceptions China and Ethiopia both recognize go. Somaliland as an independent country I have to just like one side one tangent about Somaliland which is it the name in 1991 they landed on Somaliland but they proposed a bunch of different names and one of the names proposed in 1991 was uh Shankarun, which means better than five, in reference to Somalia has five regions. <laughs> so, that would be a hilarious but probably unnecessarily incendiary name yes. to give yourselves. Better wow. than five. I just, that cracks me. I'm like... It's kind of not funny because there's real... Uh, yeah, real lives at stake. Real lives real... at stake. But that name is funny. Yeah. As like, especially as something that they were like, mm, let's not go with this. Yeah, let's not go with the... <laughs> Better than you. Yeah, exactly. So that out of the way, that's where they come from. They are in England for now, but, but wanting to go back. The plan is that Mrs. Farah is going to go back to have her baby. But when... She has some trouble and Val visits her. She's like, no, you're you're nine months pregnant. This baby's coming. You're not getting on a boat <laughs> and having a baby in the middle of the ocean. And it's not, I think the uh, sense I get is not that the plan is to go back to Somaliland, but rather that their home is going to be London, but he has gotten work in the Merchant Navy. Yeah. Uh, So he's not going to be physically there. And while he is not physically there, he wants her to go back to Somaliland to have the baby with her mother and her family around her. And then presumably come back again to London when he's done his shift or or his, like, stint or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's not that, like, I don't think the plan was ever that she go back to Somaliland forever. Mm -hmm. But, like, go back to have the baby. But no. The baby is coming too soon for you to ha- hop on a ship right now. Yeah. And uh, the, there is a young girl who lives with them who is her her sister, yeah. Decca, who's about 12, I think. and uh... 12 and precocious and interested in nursing and always going mm-hmm. through the nursing bag. And uh, yeah. one of these little... Uh, I feel like Decca is one of these characters... In Call the Midwife that we get fairly often who doesn't really do much but is memorable. Mm-hmm. So, Mrs. Farah's story. She is more pregnant than she thinks. Her, her husband leaves. She is alone uh, with only Decca and the midwives. Uh like this is established she doesn't have any friends or family here she has yeah. her sister who she is caring for uh who's you know quite a bit younger yes and val says we'll take good care of you we'll be here for you val by the way uh great 
This is the second time we really see her in action, with the first time being when she was a guest character helping the, the explosion. But she is, like, so uh, reassuring and big smile and friendly and, like, I like her so much. Yeah, me too. But, of course, she is thrown off immediately by examining Mrs. Fair to find that she's undergone what is called female circumcision, also female genital mutilation, or FGM. Uh, I'll get into that in a second. Uh, she assumes that that's the norm. That why would she, she Mrs. Assume, Ferret? Yeah, Mrs. Farrah assumes that's the norm. Uh, I love the moment where Val has to go to Barbara for help, and Barbara is our like senior midwife now. <laughs> no, and yeah. that's really I don't know. It's just like the baton is being passed from Barbara to Val. That the that Barbara is the old hat. So that just makes me yeah happy that she's not the little. That Barbara isn't our fresh-faced no. new nurse anymore. We've got a new new one. <laughs> so do you want to talk about uh, female genital mutilation and this <sighs> yes, story? Yes, I will talk about it a little bit. Like, what even is this? So we'll talk more about the social, socio-political like implications, but just physically... What uh, female circumcision or female genital mutilation is, is uh, what they describe in the show is you're removing the labia, the clitoris, and sewing uh, everything together, leaving, like they say, a small hole. Uh, holes can change, can depend in size, depending on who does it, depending on what... Uh, region of the world it's in but the main thing is removing the clitoris and often parts of the labia uh to so the only access to the vagina and the urethra is through one single hole so they mention later on the problems that can cause and it really can and you looked up more than I did, but my, like, little glance says that there's, uh, like, they categorized by, uh, kind of how much is done. And as it's yeah. described, it's like, this is the most... This is the maximum amount that someone would have done. Yeah. yeah. This is this is removal of clitoris, labia, and everything fused together to allow only for a small opening. It sounds like this case is, like, particularly intense. Yeah, exactly. And she, and the, the Barbara and Val, the nurse midwives, and, like, jump ahead, we'll mention it in a sec, but, like, also later Dr. Turner mm -hmm. are like, this is unfamiliar and yeah. they don't really know what to do. Especially her reaction being... Only what is normal. Oh you yeah, know? like what they is? Say... Did you have surgery? Only what is what is normal or what what is usual? She says. Is usual. And they're just like this is not usual. We have literally never seen this. Yeah. So this is coming from you know an area of the world that isn't like unlike other uh, areas of the world that they've seen come to London, have midwifery care. This is the first time they're ever seeing anything like this. And this is something that, like, there's a lot going on in this little plot. Uh, little plot. There's a lot going on in this big plot. <laughs> but, uh, 
one of the things that we'll get to at the end of the episode, I think it becomes more uh, to the forefront, but it, the one of the themes of the season and one of the things that you mentioned about like a Caribbean nurse too, is that like there are as uh, culture clashes or culture encounters or like mm-hmm. um, traditions that they're on unfam- that uh, each party is unfamiliar with. And we saw that with the Chinese family and we see it here. That, like there are people from around the world living in London who have traditions that the, uh, Londoners are not familiar with or are familiar with and they have to navigate like mm-hmm. uh, our characters tend to be uh, good <laughs> which yes. means respectful of other people's traditions as far as they can be mm-hmm. but also sometimes they don't know what to do and how to and yeah. sometimes they're not respectful of other people's traditions and like there's just we're seeing a lot of uh, assumptions and traditions come cl- um, coming into contact with each other, especially this season. Yeah, and I think as as going going forward, this is definitely the London we're going to mm-hmm. encounter because it's like modern London. So should we move on to the next recap? Go for it. All right. Sister Mary Cynthia's clothes are changed accidentally, and she frets over the loss of her habit. When it's returned, she talks about the comfort that it brings her. Christopher shows up at the door, and Sister Monica Joan grills him before he's allowed to enter. Trixie doesn't see him, and later talks with Phyllis about playing hard to get or being anxious. Sister Mary Cynthia is reprimanded for being out of bed to pray, and finds her Bible is missing. As Phyllis assigns the midwives for the day, they hear about Mrs. Farah, and female circumcision for the first time. Sister Julienne and Sister Monica Joan have a tearful reunion with Sister Mary Cynthia and work to get her discharged. Everyone is fretting over the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Phyllis tries to protect her cubs from the news. Sister Winifred continues her driving practice, but has been relegated to pillows and shoes instead of the real thing. In the hospital, Mrs. Farah is examined and upset by the men looking at her. Sister Mary Cynthia is discharged and comes back home to rest. Barbara shows Mrs. Farah's young sister her midwife supplies, but when Val and Decca arrive at her home, Mrs. Farah is in the throes of labor. Val calls for an ambulance to get her to the hospital, but ends up having to do an episiotomy and delivery on the way. Let's start with driving lessons. (laughs) Just how cute that is. Um... I love I this whole uh it's just a little light comic relief. Delia is now teaching Sister Winifred uh instead of um Phyllis teaching her and she's got like the slippers on the floor. Did you ever do any like driving not in a car practice like that? We had what was called the simulator, which was a big van that went around to all these schools with uh fake cars like six fake steering wheel and brakes and like a video projector that showed a road and we practiced driving that way it was stupid i didn't (laughs) ever do anything like that like i was it was straight into a car it was like you know keep the car in park here's the pedals here's but i we didn't i'd ever do uh this like slippers and i like to uh put foot on the clutch 
Okay, good. That's not the clutch. <laughs> but you said it was A, B, C. Accelerator, brake, clutch. Yes, but in the opposite order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sister would have been trying so hard and like clearly getting in accidents while driving yeah. with a cushion in the living room. And Delia's like, I'm just going to suddenly shout stop and you have to stop. Yeah. And that is trouble for her. Yeah, I just, absolutely. It's silly and light and made me actually laugh. Yeah. This is once again, um, the show continuing plot elements through multiple episodes, which I feel like is a change from previous seasons Mm -hmm. to have things like this, things like the Turners moving, like nothing is happening all in one episode. It's gradually It's particularly new, I think, for these like minor little stories. Yeah, exactly. That, like, yeah, Sister Winifred is still learning to drive and has not yet learned to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk about Christopher a little bit. Yeah, oh, so yeah. this is the, the dentist that Trixie met in the last episode. She's now gone on at least a date with, and he would like more. Mm-hmm. And she is anxious. She just, like, he comes to the door, door when she's working and she doesn't see him, uh... We saw, you talked a little last, or you mentioned it, it happened in the last recap, and then it happens here. The last time he called, and she's like, I'm too busy reorganizing our stock. And Sister mm-hmm. Julianne is like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. that seems very urgent and important. Um, and then here, he actually comes to the door with flowers. I love Sister Monica Joan uh, <laughs> being, like, aggressive. <laughs> And the, well, and she's upset about, like, mental health. Exactly. And so she's like, how can I, I can blame the dentist for the mercury fillings and stuff, which is true. Yeah. That was, like, when they used pure mercury in fillings, that did not contribute to the mental health of the world. Yeah, I mean, like, mercury does cause mental illness. The two uh, clear, cul- common practices that were clear culprits are hatting, like, hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mercury fillings. She says, you know, do you stop your teeth of your patients with mercury? I uh, was not expecting uh, to be interrogated about my dental practices. I use a dental amalgam. It's a blend of silver, tin, copper, and mercury. And it has people running mad. (laughs) This is an example of, like, what I was saying about that uh, Sister Monica Joan has a lot of empathy, but also, like... Christopher probably doesn't feel like this is a particularly empathetic person, right? Yeah, exactly. That, like, she uh, has a narrow focus. Mm -hmm. She is thinking about mental health and that this is still, uh, it's a funny, light Sister Monica Joan being, you know, wacky, but I love it because it also is extremely heavy and about the main, her main worry and our, one of our main worries of the episode and that she's like interrogating him because he's what she doesn't know his intentions on uh Trixie but also because uh irresponsible medical practices have long-lasting effects mm-hmm. and like I I just really love this interaction and then Phyllis yeah. is like swoops into the rescue well and I also appreciate like this makes us like Christopher even more that he doesn't at all back away from Sister Monica Joan. He doesn't do anything, like, he isn't mean, but he isn't, like, he is definitely willing to put up with coming to a convent to pick up Trixie, <laughs> yeah. facing off with a 
none and still being like, I want to see you. So like, he's made of stern stuff. (laughs) It's good. There are two things, I agree, two things that this makes me like Christopher for is he like isn't uh he has some determination he really likes trixie and really wants to uh take her out again and is willing to uh overcome some obstacles some light comical but some obstacles in the way yep uh and then two he like it's a little bit his interaction with sister monica joan is a little bit like a uh opportunity to show green or red flags in the same way that like how do you treat uh service person Mm, is that like how he responds to sister monica joan being weird (laughs) shows us his character more than how he responds to trixie does right exactly he isn't uh he isn't a pushover but also he isn't exasperated he doesn't roll his eyes he's not rude to her Mm -hmm. even when she's not leaving behind her back right yeah exactly uh and phyllis I, i like also just before we I don't know if you have more to say, but the before I have everything to say about this whole interaction is Phyllis, like, talking to Trixie and saying, I put the flowers in water. There's something pathetic about a man walking away with a bouquet. Yes. So I, like, I'm not gonna, you know, you can play hard to get, but I'm gonna put the flowers in water. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's about, I guess, the other thing to say that you did mention is that their conversation makes it clear that it's about fear, which mm-hmm. ties into the, I mean, it ties into all the themes, but it ties, I think, most surface level to the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis mm-hmm. theme that like fear and what do you, what does fear allow you to do or prevent you to do? Do you stop doing things you want because you're afraid or do you do things you want because you're afraid of other things? You know, like this is a minor thing motif of the episode yes exactly do you want i'm talking a lot about this because do you want to talk about uh, mrs farah or sister mary cynthia <laughs> or neither both i mean i want to talk about both but <laughs> well, which one do you want to hit first let's let's talk about mrs farah first okay and that uh she is taken to you know oh your your uh Birth is going to be a bit more complicated, so we're going to take you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she has to be examined by a bunch of men in, like, the exact same way we've seen numerous yeah. times. That a bunch of doctors staring at your vagina. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and being very clinical and very matter-of-fact and not caring at all that there is a person at the head of that body, you know? Yep. That they're talking about her like she's not there. And... That, uh, as we'll find out later in the episode, she uh, comes from a culture that is very used to women only being allowed to deal with any sort of birth or female reproductive health situation. So to have men come in and stare at her is, like, worse than just the regular amount of uncomfortableness. Yeah. She's unhappy and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And she feels... Like they are uh, making a spectacle of her because they are. Yeah, And she feels like they are talking about her like she's a freak because they are. Yeah. Uh, And she is, which doesn't, again, she doesn't quite make all of that explicit, but there's enough that like she can tell that they are talking about her like she's a weirdo Mm -hmm. and she doesn't like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they, the, uh, 
doctor says, like, she needs to come in at the first signs of labor, like, urgently, yes. immediately to the hospital. Uh, and we see in this section why, right? Yeah. Um. So we move on to her actual birth. Uh, she sent she sent Decca out of the house because she was annoying her, mm-hmm. probably not realizing that the reason why she's annoying her is because she's in labor. Um, or maybe mm. realizing probably but, not realizing that the reason she's annoyed is that she's yeah, in labor. Right? Exactly. Um, so Can I just Decca quickly ca- about Decca? say that she's like sees barbara and is like and if i if i come along with you can i go and look through your bag again yeah exactly and barbara says god loves a trier yeah <laughs> exactly exactly this is i love i love decca's whole like relationship with the nurses and really wanting to be one and checking out all the instruments and it's it's really cute and great god. and it uh cements a relationship with val and barbara and decca yes so that later on there's some strength to their emotional reaction. Yes. Do you want to talk uh, about the labor itself? Yeah. So uh, Val calls for an ambulance and goes with her in the ambulance and has to uh, try to stop her from pushing, but can't because mm-hmm. baby's coming no matter what. So this is Val like proving herself. She's only been on the show for a couple of episodes. She's brand new to this kind of thing. And she, manages to mm-hmm. do everything she's supposed to do i just at a moment for val that is really triumphant but it also is. a horror show as well of- so this labor i i like you're already touching on both of the things or two of the three things that i want to talk about with this mm-hmm. labor one is val is really great in this whole episode and yeah. in this scene she is so calm and competent and capable and we have seen new midwives in with difficult births before like rising to the occasion or yeah. failing to rise to the I don't think we've ever seen anyone actually fail but struggling to rise to the occasion and she is in the category of like no problem mm-hmm. i know what to do and i'm going to do it and uh, she never, like, gives uh, any sign that she is that this is beyond her. Yeah. She is like, I'm not going to use a knife. Oh, we didn't mention the knife. And let's... Yes, let's mention that, too. Is that uh, she's terrified of a knife. And that's what she's talking about. When, when they enter the... When Val and Decca enter the room and find her in labor, she's speaking her language and Decca has to translate but it's something about a knife and so Val has to be like you're not you know that's just flashbacks yeah kind of thing do you know what that whole deal is I don't like what that's referring to it's pretty subtle and uh but often like they talked earlier about how did the baby get in there when there's a tiny hole Mm -hmm. and the common practice uh would be like to cut the vagina open again with a knife for sex and then close it up again oh really yeah oh i did not see that so that's like i think implied of what and then again for for labor yeah uh so she's there's a knife and she's scared um and val says i'm not going to use a knife i'm going to use my special scissors yeah um this labor is like it is uh, 
painful and brutal and kind of gruesome to watch. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't look. What do you think? It seems to me like, despite Val's clear competence, and I don't want to see more visceral details, but also it seems like an absurdly easy labor given the circumstances. Well, I think what happens afterwards is the difficulty. So she cuts and gets the baby out and they get to the hospital in time for all the repairs that would need to be done. Right. Is that, um, not to get too graphic, Mm -hmm. but it's difficult to cut through scar tissue. And so instead of cutting upwards, like through where she's scarred, she would be cutting downwards. So through the perineum and they would have had to sew everything uh, differently than it had been, right. including scar tissue, and create a new bum as well. And so it's uh, all of the stuff after the baby is born is the is the most difficult. Right. And so they're lucky that she can be raced to the, get to the hospital in time. And, and, and Val says like she's very torn. Yeah. There and everything. And that's all the part that I am happy not to see actually just be referred to so so you don't think that this uh the actual labor was uh it was a little easy but i think that uh it's the afterwards that was made more difficult because they didn't weren't in the hospital with special tools and whatnot right anything else to say about her right now um no, I don't think so. Then let's, so let's talk, talk about, about Mary Cynthia. Yes. So she gets to go home. Before she does, there's like, we see her, we said in the last time her new uh, Irish nurse is nicer, but she's yeah. still, you know, unhappy and she seems to be getting better and, but she, to be faithful in her devotions and spiritual commitments is a, mm-hmm. a particularly a challenge yeah. in this section. Before she leaves the ward, it's she doesn't have the right clothes, and then she isn't allowed out of bed to pray, and then she doesn't have her Bible, and then she is let home and uh, feels like we expect, we hope that like maybe things will be better Uh and they're not entirely. Mm-hmm. But it is still really nice to see her with people around who love her. Mm-hmm. And Sister Julianne and Sister Monica Joan eat. Oh, Sister Monica Joan comes in and there's food in front of her. And Sister Julianne is like, Sister Mary Cynthia, our sister is coming back to us. And Sister Monica Joan says, you're tricking me to get me to eat. Yeah. But then she reads the letter mm-hmm. and eats. Which honestly is the consequence of them having to do that in the past is trick Sister Monica Joan into things like eating and going to a doctor and whatnot because she won't do it if they if they uh, tell her what they're doing. And so they've had to trick her in the past. But then in this case, she's like, well, you're tricking me. I know because you do that. So yeah, you do, they do do that. They do that. <laughs> it's also though in... I think that moment of you're tricking me so that I will eat is also, we have seen through the whole series, Sister Monica Jones' lucidity comes and goes. Mm -hmm. And we might, that is a real sign to us that like, 
Sometimes Sister Monica Joan decides to do something wacky, like won't eat because she gets some uh, absurd fixation in her mind. And I think that, like, you are trying to trick me is a sign to us, like, is flagging to us that this is a lucid moment of Sister Monica Joan choosing to fast, not, like, not an unhinged moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What do you make of the whole plot line where her Bible is stolen and there's a woman waiting there for her son who's never coming and she's the one who stole the Bible? It's... Yeah, I mean... Why is that story in there? She doesn't actually help her. Nothing really comes of that situation. The why... There's, I think... um, Partly, we just have some other... The mental hospital is filled with other people with other problems. Uh, It's a contrast of the... uh, Sister Mary Cynthia feels very alone, but has people who care for her and are, like, anxiously waiting to be allowed in compared to this woman who is alone. Yeah. There's a contrast of, like... The electro uh, convulsive therapy is the like boogeyman of fictional mental health, except for the one the one that's worse than that, which is lobotomy. Mm-hmm. And so this woman has had a lobotomy, and it is worse than electro convulsive therapy. Although I don't think that we push on the horror of that much. No. In fact, don't. as it's phrased by the nurse, it's like they cut out the illness and sometimes there's not a lot left is such, I think, a compassionate way of of talking about it, actually. Mm-hmm. But also, like, the main theme of the the theme of the episode as laid out in the intru- in the vo- introductory voiceover is about the soul. Mm-hmm. And Sister Mary Cynthia is struggling in her soul and she gets the therapy helps ultimately helps her mind at least for a while and she has social support and she's gonna say this in in so many words in the next section so i don't want to preempt it too much but maybe i we can uh because we've all seen the episode she's gonna talk about how like she was always making excuses like why Mm. is sister mary cynthia struggling so much she doesn't have the right clothes she doesn't have the right Uh, place to sit she doesn't have solitude she doesn't have the bible and she says later that she's making excuses not to pray she uh her soul is troubled Mm -hmm. and this woman whose mind is uh troubled who can't remember where she is or what she's doing or who's coming for her or who isn't uh and is stealing from people around her, but she wants a Bible because she is still, her soul is still hungry. Yeah. And so it's a statement, I think, of the beginning about, like, where is the soul? Is it in the mind? Is it in the body? Is it in the heart? And this woman's soul isn't in her mind. Mm. Good point. I like that. All right, let's clue up our recaps. Yes. Sister Mary Cynthia struggles with sleep, her studies, and her mind. Mrs. Farah recovers from her birth, but is upset that a man has stitched her up. All the characters deal with the news of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Trixie spends the evening with Christopher. 
Tom and Barbara have a drink, and Fred and Violet dance. Sister Mary Cynthia and Patrick talk about his time with mental illness. The Turners move out of their home, finding that they have Angela's baby things saved. The next morning, Trixie talks about her date, and Fred announces that the crisis is over. The Turners move is a fiasco, and they end up in sleeping bags and candles in their new home. Patrick recommends a hospital for Sister Mary Cynthia called Northfield, a much more gentle place. Sister Mary Cynthia requests her postulant dress and leaves Anatus behind, taking on the name Cynthia once again. Mrs. Farah reveals that her sister has been sent back to Somaliland, apparently to be cut, and that is something she is proud of. Val and Barbara weep as Decca leaves on a boat. On Christopher and Trixie's next date, she sidesteps the question of champagne. Mature Jenny narrates that Mrs. Farah did not cut her own daughter. So let's talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis plot first. Mm-hmm. Um, when we started the episode, I said, like, this is a kind of a sub uh, plot through the whole episode. Mm-hmm. It keeps coming up. And here's where it, like, uh, the climax of that little subplot, both uh, in, in two moments, both in that, like, Hey, it turns out that they, there wasn't nuclear war in the 60s, yeah. <laughs> just in case you're <laughs> not good at history. Uh, the world did not destroy itself in the 60s. It just came close. Um, but there's this moment where everything seems the worst and everyone spends time with their sweeties. Uh, and um, you talked about all the different couples together. Uh, one that you didn't mention that I'd... Uh, really struck me as Delia just moons over a picture oh, yeah. of Patsy. Uh, yeah. It's just a like two min- two seconds on the screen, but every there's a montage of everyone with their sweet yeah, sweethearts and Delia just looking at a picture of Patsy mm-hmm. in the book. I think the book of uh, Spanish poetry. I think so. Yeah. Um, and what we really see that isn't a montage is Trixie and Christopher's date. Mm-hmm. Um, Phyllis told Trixie, like, don't let your fears stop you. Don't let anxiety. There's playing hard to get and there's cutting off your nose to spite your face or whatever she says. Um, and so Trixie agrees to go on a date with Christopher and it's directly linked, like as the scenes go it's like the world is gonna end and Trixie's like hey I'm free yeah <laughs> let's exactly. go out yeah um and and as she describes it the next day well I figured if the world's gonna end I might as well let him kiss me <laughs> <laughs> there, there's this moment in the on their date they like drive out and Christopher's like you know you deserve to see the see London the London's your oyster we can do anything you like and Trixie's like let's just say stay here at make out point yep. <laughs> <laughs> and dot 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 see what happens and what happens is a very chaste kiss I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, is there anything more? The war doesn't happen. They, they're like thematically. Can, can you, did you look up anything like historical about Cuban Missile Crisis? Not really. Okay. Just that, I mean, I didn't look, no, I didn't look up anything. Just yeah. what I already know, which is like, we've seen in the episode that, uh, Khrushchev and Kennedy are both, uh, 
um, posturing and threatening each other. And the uh, Russians want to set up a nuclear missile base in Cuba, which would make the U.S. in range. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually Kennedy said, like, disarm or else. Like, it's an ultimatum or we will bomb you. And the Russians uh, did not call that ultimate like didn't call him on that mm-hmm. they had they backed down there's a moment earlier when they were just talking about it that like uh phyllis is critical of kennedy and says that kennedy is being too provocative and like see we wouldn't say such inflammatory language uh if he was reasonable and like there's just um Fred is entirely, like, Kennedy is the leader of the free world and the best person. And uh, Trixie says, you know, he could charm the be- the birds from the trees. And Phyllis says, yeah, but Khrushchev's not a bird. He's a bear. <laughs> He's a bear. Yeah. And, like, posturing is going to make things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, I think, about uh, the soul and fear and uh, honesty. Like, they're they're... Why is this particular moment in history uh, juxtaposed with this particular story? Mm-hmm. Is it's because uh, both um, they're making the political tension between uh, the Americans and the Russians a metaphor for kind of like a confronting fear and honesty and uh the nature of the soul so it's a metaphor or it's a metaphorically is metaphorically resonant with both uh the story of mrs farah and cultures that don't understand each other and making assumptions about each other and making ultimatums and posturing and like you have to do it my way uh and it's also a metaphorical uh, res- metaphorically resonant with Mary Cynthia and like I don't I uh, am trying to be what I think the world wants me to be and that's causing me pain and I need to confront my fears and know what to do with them and so everybody confronting and it's also Trixie right her mm-hmm. like I'm afraid of being rejected but I'm going to confront that fear instead of uh, mm-hmm. lean into it they're they're Pairing that with everyone is afraid of the world being destroyed. And it's like, what would you do if it was your last night on Earth? Yeah. And also a a kind of revealing of honesty within those parameters. Exactly. You know, Sister Mary Cynthia uh, is honest in like, she can't live at Nanatus. Mrs. Farah is honest about what actually happened to her as a child. Mm -hmm. And... uh, but uh, Trixie isn't honest. She in her in the moment mm. of uh, champagne, when, when the truth is on the line. There, she still wants to hide that she's sober. So it's interesting who is revealed and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Do we want to say anything more about like that moment with Trixie when he offers her a drink and she? There's a real moment where she's not sure what she's gonna do. Yeah, 
And I and feel she like she says she's on duty. I think it's. I think she didn't need to reveal it. I don't think that it mm. was. Yeah. Uh, I think it's too early in their relationship to reveal it. And it sets it up for a future reveal to bring them closer together. Mm-hmm. So I I think I basically, I agree with her decision. She doesn't know him well enough to be like, reveal this kind of deep shame she feels. Yeah. And she can sidestep it for a little bit longer, you know? Yeah. I think there was a real moment in the performance where it was like, she has three choices. Yeah. Am I going to just take a drink? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to tell him I'm an alcoholic and like on our second date, third date? Or am I going to make some excuse? And she may, she avoids drinking. She doesn't tell him she's an alcoholic, but she does avoid taking a drink and yeah. good for her. Yes. I'm very proud of her in that moment for not drinking. She also, while we're on Trixie... There's a little moment of Trixie and Mary Cynthia meeting in the hallway. Right, yes. Trixie has been unable to see her at first because Sister Mary Cynthia needs rest. And so she sends her like some soap and she's like, send her. Oh, and Sister Julianne says, I'll tell her you send your regards. And she's like, rather you send my love. Yeah. That's what I actually feel. And eventually they do get to talk to each other. And it's not a super profound conversation, but it still is a meaningful moment, mm-hmm. right? She <laughs> Trixie says, you know, you're postulate dressed, so there's nothing worse than being wrongly dressed for an occasion. Yeah. <laughs> and Mary Cynthia's like, I'm pretty sure that there are worse things. <laughs> Trixie is so interesting as a character that she can't resist making a little bit of lightness. This is uh, something that we saw is like from her childhood. Mm -hmm. She takes the serious situation and brings the lightness because that was this traumatic thing she had to do in her childhood and she can't resist it. She's not over it. it. And I love that the writers continue to have that as part of her character is like, she's not saying the right thing entirely here. She's being a little bit flip. Yeah. With a jokey kind of thing and with like, it'll it'll be better kind of positive attitude but that's about her not about sister mary cynthia and not even really about their relationship no. it's more trixie's trauma informs that discussion that i actually i really like this in scene for exactly those reasons that if we didn't if we took it in a vacuum and didn't know anything else about trixie this would be a scene of uh how shallow trixie yeah, is yeah exactly um but if we know her, we know that it's like shallowness uh, born out of trauma. Yeah, exactly. Things will be better. You can take it as a platitude, but, you know, what exactly does she say? Um, it's always darkest before the dawn. And yeah. She doesn't say that, but that idea. Mm-hmm. And like, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, Let's talk about Sister Mary Cynthia. Yeah. And- She's struggling with her studies and with doctrine and Sister Julianne is like, you just need to recover. But the recovery alongside her, like, I want to do my life's vow and I don't know if I can do my life's vow, even if I'm recovered kind of thing is what's really stressing her. She says, if God loves me and wants me to do this, why is he making it so hard? Yeah, exactly. And she can't her 
I said this in the last section, but she kind of articulates that her problem has always been, and her problem in this episode has been uh, finding, she is making excuses for herself to not uh, approach God because she doesn't know how to, or doesn't know if she wants to, or doesn't uh, know what she wants for Ooh. herself. And the like, we saw in Mary Cynthia, like a... Um, Uncertainty about her identity even before her attack. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that attack, that the lasting consequence on her is more, is not as much anxiety as it is like she's not certain who she is. Mm-hmm. Because what she wanted was, what she thought she wanted was to devote her life to God and that moment of being attacked felt like a being betrayed by God. And even when she moves forward past the like immediate trauma and anxiety, the like effect on her identity of, uh, I, she is immersing herself in study of fi- like subtle, fine theological points because she thinks she wants, she feels like if she can understand it intellectually, then it will uh, resonate with her soul the way it once did. Uh, and the like, this is again the lasting, the writers having continuity in character, I think, that the, like the moment of real peace in her soul right before the attack is what she's trying and failing to recapture. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's so true. And she ends. This section, the, the, like, Northfield, I feel uh, a little bit like Reggie in the in a previous episode is like, conveniently, there's a great place that we've never heard of before that she can just go to. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> if this place existed, why? Anyway, okay, whatever. Yeah. Because she was put in there by the mother house who suck. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, it does feel like deus as machina a little bit there's a great place she can go to just like there was a great place reggie could go to they just Mm -hmm. had to like suffer through the episode first okay fine um but when she goes there the real point i think is that she wants to be called cynthia not mary cynthia Mm -hmm. and the postulant dress too that she doesn't want to wear her habit she wants to wear her postulant dress because she like the clothes mattered before she wants to go back to um, the last time she felt at peace and happy and like she mm-hmm. was really seeking God was before she started, like when she was a postulant, before she started taking real steps towards uh, vows. Mm-hmm. Is this like, when she takes the name Cynthia upon entering, I think that that is saying she is not ever going to be a nun. I'm not sure if they're meaning that or what, but I feel like that is her leaving her nun life behind and just focusing on being there and and recovering. Yeah, I think so too. Which is I think hard to see when I really enjoyed that whole plot line of her becoming a nun. It was a like we said when she first uh, decided to take vows that she was like a parallel story to Sheila. Mm-hmm. Um. But actually, she ends up being a similar, like, not uh, a similar, but worse. Mm -hmm. Like, she's um, 
leave implied to leave the uh, order before she even really joins it and not because of love but because of trauma and pain mm-hmm. um you've talked off mic uh to me and we've talked together but i feel like this is something i've you have strong feelings about about mary cynthia's whole story mm-hmm. um do you want to go into it a little bit right now? Like, how do you feel yeah, about it? I, on this second watching, I had forgotten about this last hospital. Hmm. In my mind, she had ended up back at the mother house or something. I, I somehow forgotten that she kind of goes off to this mental hospital, but I do, like I said, I liked the whole arc of her becoming a nun and her uh and having a someone choose to go down that path mm-hmm. to as the opposite of Sheila. And so it was disappointing that the writers did all this trauma to her. Mm. I felt like it was over the top and I don't know. It's just so hard to watch. It's hard to watch a beloved character not recover in our sight yeah that she's gonna go off to this i mean i i don't want to be spoilery but like this is the end yeah she's we're not she's not coming back from this we're a show without spoilers and we very rarely break that rule and yeah. i think let's break that rule right now that as far as we have seen this is the last we see of her yeah and uh speaking of the last we see of people uh, remember earlier in this, like, or was it the end of last season, the woman who abandons her children at the police station? Mm-hmm. Hey, Peter's still working there. I think that's the last time we see him. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, he's like, just like a tiny bit in the show, even though Chummy's not, but I'm pretty sure we've seen the end of Peter as well. I don't remember. But, that one I don't remember for sure. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so like this is the last we see of her. And so it's hard to rewatch knowing we don't get to see her recovery. We don't get to see what happens to her. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I really wish that, I just love her as her character. And I really wish she could have continued on the show in the same way as other midwives and nuns do. Yeah. But, you know, I'm. I'm guessing also the actress maybe wanted to move on. All kinds of reasons why she might not be on the show anymore. But it still is heartbreaking to me. And I've never really liked this plot. Although this time around, I may be coming around to it. I don't mm. know. I you liked it better this time? I think you, I liked it better this time. Before this season started, I'll say, yeah. you said to me off mic and like you hated what they do to Mary Cynthia. Yeah. And then watching it this season, I kind of am with you that like watching it this time, I was like, it's not quite as bad as I thought. Yeah, exactly. Like they put her through an awful lot. And the moment of finding her in... uh lynchmere yeah is like horrible yeah horrible thing to do like happen to her to do to a character i think that's what stuck me because it was so shocking when i saw it for the first time but she doesn't end up there no do you think like uh she's cynthia not mary cynthia she is leaving the order it's implied that she's not ever going to be a nun uh 
do you think that this is her losing her faith or just her uh, intention to holy orders? Mm. I don't think it's necessarily her losing her faith, just her life uh, vocation. Hmm. What do you think? I agree. Yeah. I, but I don't know if that's just what I would like to think. Yeah, exactly. I know, like, we talk about it, and if you're not, if you didn't know listening to this show uh, by us, uh, you know, we like relig- I li- we like religious things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want her to find God, mm-hmm. and I want her soul to be satisfied by God. Uh, and so I, I don't know if it's just that I want to believe that she still can find God away from holy orders, um, or if the show is implying that her soul will be satisfied when she gives up on God entirely. Mm-hmm. I don't like that as much yes, <laughs> because true. of things that I believe. All right. So before we move on to Mrs. Farah, let's just touch on the Turners. Oh, yeah. Who, uh, they go to move to their new house and their furniture ends up in Kent and their electricity is not turned on. And so they have to sleep in <laughs> sleeping bags on the floor of their new house, which was funny and cute. And like, and they mentioned that ki- the ill-fated camping trip that they, they had. Do. Um, the, I said that there's a moment in their little story that does touch on the theme. And I think it's as they're moving out and uh, Patrick and Timothy are looking at the empty house and Patrick mm. says a lot of good moment, good memories, but the memories aren't, don't belong to the house. We take them with us. Yeah. And I think that is also about the soul. The soul doesn't live in the house. Yeah. Like then the memories are uh, a shorthand for the same idea of like the memories don't live in the house in the same way that the soul doesn't live in the brain or the body, mm-hmm. that the memories, you take them with you, uh, is touching on that theme a little bit. Yeah, I do love that they uh, they have a moment between Patrick and Timothy alone in the house because mm-hmm. this is was their house before Sheila moved in with them. So this is presumably the house where uh, Timothy's mother was as well. So I like I just I glad that they gave them they took the space in this episode to give them a moment to say goodbye. Can and we have be- them say that? Yeah. Before we also get to Mrs. Farah, can we say one more thing about Mary Cynthia that Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention, which is while she is uh, perplexed and troubled, uh, like in her moment of most trouble, uh, we see the nuns chanting at Compline, Mm. which we have not seen in a while. And I was really happy (laughs) to see them and hear them. And what they're singing is Psalm uh, 63. The part that we actually hear is verse 7. Have I not remembered thee in my bed and thought upon thee when I was waking? Because thou hast been my helper. Therefore, under the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. Mm. And the whole psalm, I feel like, is very thematically appropriate to the episode and to Sister Mary Cynthia, now Cynthia's uh, story, especially as I want to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to say the whole psalm. Uh, which is not that long. God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, and my flesh also longeth after thee, in a barren and dry land where no water is. Thus have I looked for thee in holiness, that I might behold thy power and glory. For thy loving kindness is better than life itself, my lips shall praise thee. 
As long as I live will I magnify thee in this manner, and lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied, even as it were with marrow and fatness, when my mouth praiseth thee with joyful lips. Have I not remembered thee in my bed, and thought upon thee when I was waking? Because thou hast been my helper, therefore under the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul hangeth upon thee, thy right hand hath upholden me. These also that seek the hurt of my soul, they shall go under the earth. Let them fall upon the edge of the sword, that they may be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. All they also that swear by him shall be commanded, for the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Hmm. And the particularly, particularly the part, like the, stress in this whole psalm about my soul my soul my soul when the episode is like where's the soul and the stress in this psalm of like my soul thirsteth for thee and my flesh longeth after thee uh ties in i think to the theme of mary cynthia and like what we talked about in the mental hospital where there's this woman with a lobotomy who still wants a bible mm. and that's mary cynthia i think her or cynthia I think her uh, distress is part of her distress is caused by her like a disjoint between who she wants to be and who she thinks she is, but it's also caused by uh, her soul isn't satisfied, and that's why she keeps trying to pray and trying and she keeps trying and trying and she uh, cries over not being able to pray. And Sister Monica Jones says like. You're still seeking, though. Mm-hmm. And I think the ending, she says she's Cynthia. She wears a postulant's dress, not her civilian clothes, because it symbolizes that she is still seeking. And the psalm says uh, her soul will be satisfied. And the specific lines of have not remembered thee in my bed and thought upon thee when I was waking, which is what we have seen Cynthia doing. Uh she says she isn't praying, but she's remembering God in her bed and upon waking. And uh, the psalm, I think, is about her soul being satisfied. So should we move on to Mrs. Farah at the end here? Yes. All right. So uh, she recovers from her birth and uh, the doctor has stitched her back to like regular although it wouldn't be i mean like yeah this, this is, is like i don't know i don't know medicalness enough but like things would be open that had been closed so he's not i mean just to like i don't know medical stuff either but he's not a plastic surgeon exactly so like he can't repair yep but she is upset because he stitched her together all wrong mm-hmm. um and how would he know how to do things? He's a man. And Val and Barbara are not quite hearing her in this. And yep. so later on, when they come to see her and Decca is gone, has been taken back to Somaliland, mm-hmm. uh, they're so upset and they're like, she, they're going to, some man is going to cut her when she gets there. And Mrs. Farah that oh it's such a good speech it's a really good it's speech. it's such a good speech she revealed her name is nadifa gendi jama i don't take my husband's name and all of this stuff happens by women for women 
and and this is where it gets tricky talking about this um, female genital mutilation, where it's a debate even to this day mm-hmm. that uh, you know a Western culture comes in and says, you know, you savage, you are cutting up your women, uh, and many people stop but some others say no this is empowering because it's all women doing it to themselves and so i want to be careful not to you know say i do think that it's wrong and we shouldn't be cutting especially babies um and also denying women pleasure Hmm. but also we should not as as a cis white woman, I should not be like, this is exactly how you should be acting in Africa, in Somaliland. And it's a complicated thing. I was surprised when I started researching a little bit that there have been women who are, who like look at it from a feminist lens and are like, this is a, a choice that we make and we, and it's our bodies, our choice type of thing. Mm -hmm. Though I do think, babies should not be operated on in such a way often the people making the choice are not the people being operated on exactly even if they are women yeah it is such an interesting case i'm going to say one thing and then i'm going to go back to letting you talk but it is (laughs) uh we so often like to frame feminism and or uh sexism and racism as like butting heads so like oh you support uh uh women but what about these uh foreign cultures where they hate women you can't be a pro woman and pro uh brown people at the same time yeah. because they're all sexist and the way that this both in reality but the way that the story really frames it as like it is not a choice between uh white feminism or not a choice between English feminism and African misogyny. Uh, she frames the English one as misogyny. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I don't take on my husband's name. Mm-hmm. Like that's backwards of you. And it's exactly the truth is like, there are kind of backwards. There are uh, thinking in all countries have nuance all cultures have nuance and so you can't say that one is better than another but just because of one thing that Mm. they do all that being said uh mature jenny does narrate the end that mrs farrah chose not to cut her own daughter and so we're not privy to any of the changes of her mind at all Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a little bow on on the end of it that like oh but she learned but maybe she did because of being around other women who weren't cut and learning the possibilities and the uh the dangers that come Mm -hmm. with being cut what do you think? I have like two questions. What do you think of the of that ending as a PS? We've it's seen that hat. kind of thing before on this yeah. show. That like Poochie returned to his home planet later. Yeah, it's a little like I find Yeah, just a little bit and then everything tied up in a bow because everyone learned a lesson. Like, come on, you're better than this show. So I think that it was unnecessary to include that. 
they just really wanted to make sure that we didn't think it was a good idea, which is doing right. the exact thing that the show is critical of. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, what do you think of, uh, her husband is on the show for like five seconds at the beginning and then he is gone the entire rest mm-hmm. of this. What do you think of that? I think that's very much on purpose to show that this is a woman making her own choices and that we don't have at all him there. And also we don't have the complication of Val and Barbara having to talk to him, mm-hmm. having to like make their assumptions. It saves the assumptions until the very end. So I think it narratively, it helps the argument of, you know, I am, this was a woman to a woman. I am a woman. This is not about men, mm-hmm. even though it kind of is. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated topic and I don't think that I can speak on it much more than I already have. <laughs> and I encourage people to do their own research and stuff because it's a, big can of worms that yeah and i'm gonna say even less than you exactly any last thoughts on this episode anything we have left unsaid i don't think so but i would love to know what your favorite part is oh (laughs) you forgot to think about that didn't you i did forget to think about that i last time chose something uh light and silly as my favorite part and i'm going to again (laughs) So my favorite part is the uh, lightest, most comic relief of comic relief moments in this episode, which is Sister Winifred driving and stomping on the slippers. slippers. (laughs) I have a more serious one too, but I suspect your answer might be the same as my more serious one. I don't know if it is. Oh, no. I think my favorite moment was uh, during the night of the crisis all of the different couples mm. bonding in their different ways and oh, seeing yeah. the differences between them and, and i'm a romantic delia all alone and delia all alone looking at patsy not forgetting about delia yeah um what's your serious one uh, i said i did, but didn't want to say it. i okay, like i if i'm gonna say a serious one uh the speech at the end mm, yeah um is really good I think it's really well written and really well performed speaks to the complexity of the, uh, I don't think, yeah, speaks to the complexity of the emotional state of all the people in this situation Mm -hmm. actually is what I think. Yeah. So if you have thoughts on this episode, thoughts about any of the stuff we've talked about, I'd love to hear them. How would you do that, Paul? You can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can talk to us on social media. We are on uh, Twitter, at Poplar Opinion. Um, you can come and talk to us on our Discord channel. There's a link in the show notes. And last week, we asked people to talk to us about dentistry, and they did. <laughs> I do recall that I specifically asked people not to, and then they did anyway. And I love you guys, but come on! <laughs> um, so, you know, come come hear about people's experiences with dentistry if you want to on our uh, Discord channel. Um if you want to support this show and help us to keep making them or uh, support us, you can at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. 
and we would be very grateful if you did. Thank you very much for joining us this week. I have been Dr. Paul Moffat. And I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs>